Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Holly Ordway is Cardinal Francis George Fellow at Word on Fire Institute and Visiting Professor of Apologetics at Houston Christian University. She's the co-author, I'm sorry, she's the author of Tolkien's Modern Reading, Middle Earth Beyond the Middle Ages, and Tales of Faith, A Guide to Sharing the Gospel Through Literature. She has edited a new volume for Word on Fire Press entitled As Kingfishers Catch Fire, Selected and Annotated Poems of Gerard Manley Hopkins. That's our topic today. Welcome, Professor Ordway. Oh, lovely to be on. Thank you. Now, oh, you know, basic questions. Uh, Let's get to the biography. Uh, Who was this guy Hopkins? Well, he was a uh, he was a Victorian um, and a a Jesuit. um, So he was a poet priest, Father Gerard Manley Hopkins and also a convert. Um, he was, in fact, received into the church by St. John Henry Newman. So it's an interesting sort of Newmanian connection. Um, he was, went to Oxford University and um, from an Anglican family and entered the church at a time when this was very much not a socially acceptable thing to do and definitely paid a price for that with his family from whom he was estranged for a long time, although they were happily ultimately reconciled. Um, and so he went off and became um, a Jesuit novice, then eventually uh, you know, became a Jesuit priest, and wrote this amazing poetry, um, almost none of which was published in his lifetime. Uh, and so it was really his friend, his Anglican friend, Robert Bridges, who brought out a collection of his poetry in 1908. Um, and when it came out, people didn't really know what to make of it because Although he was of the Victorian era, he had really moved away from the kind of soppy sentimentality and trite verse forms that were becoming all too common with Victorian poetry. The heyday of the great Victorians had had passed. It was in a bit of a slump, same old, same old. And here comes Hopkins with a very fresh style, with um, a, a linguistic style that's quite unexpected, and people didn't really know what to make of it. And it wasn't really until after the First World War that that people started to really notice this is something that speaks to us in the modern day. Uh, and he has he has been read ever since and is a great poet. Yeah. You know, he was born in 1844. Uh, you, you, you have a very nice introduction to the book to go along with your your annotations of of the poems. You know, in college, you know, at, at Oxford, he encountered tractarianism. Uh, just give us, the, the, those of us lacking in our understanding, what was tractarianism? What was that body of thought? 
Well, this is a movement within the Church of England. Um, so we have the Church of England as as a religious body is extremely diverse. It was so then and is now. There's the high church and the low church. The high church being more interested in you know, more ritual and trying to kind of get back to what they saw as more you know, more Catholic practices, low church, more evangelical, um, a lot of people in the middle. Um, in Hopkins' time, around the time it's called the Oxford Movement, um, there are a number of, of men within the Church of England who really saw that there was a need to bring it back to some of these, these principles. Um, and they started writing these tracts for the times where they were trying to bring out some of the aspects of the Anglican faith that they thought had gotten a bit lost. You, and the, these were much more sort of the high church end of things. Um, they were, they're called Tracts for the Times, and so that's where they got the name Tractarians. Newman, John Henry Newman, was one of the major players here. Um, also Pusey, um, Edward Bouvier Pusey. Um, and Pusey stayed an Anglican, and Newman ended up um, making the move over to Rome um, and becoming a Catholic. Uh, did, you mentioned his conversion, which happened while he was an Ox, a student at Oxford. Did that affect his status as a student in 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 any way? Well, yes and no. Um, because he entered Oxford as an Anglican, um, he had no issues becoming a Catholic. The problem was that during his time, um, until 1874, Catholics could not, in fact, matriculate at Oxford because all incoming students had to assent to the specifically Anglican um, 39 articles. But of course, Hopkins had matriculated as an Anglican. So he had signed on. That was fine. Um, he became a Catholic while he was doing his studies. And so he was able to finish his degree and he took a first. Um, so he had a successful finish to his academic career. But hmm. because Oxford was still um, excluding Catholics from fellowships, he couldn't continue his academic career after his graduation. So he was able to finish, but he couldn't carry on with, with what would almost certainly have been a brilliant academic career. Um, he yeah. was called the star of Balliol. I mean, he's, he was brilliant. He could have been an outstanding um, academic with yeah. a fellowship at Oxford. And so that's the first real cost he paid for becoming a Catholic. It, it, was, not, it was not an easy step. It's never an easy step at any, any era but there were really steep prices that people had to pay um, in his time to yeah. give up to, to enter the church. And and you know the family the family wasn't happy. You stated in your in your, a few moments ago that Cardinal Newman uh, at the time I, I I guess he was Cardinal Newman at, by, by by then. Uh, well, I, no, I'm not sure. I'm not, not sure. sure. But but uh, did they have interaction after or no? Um, well, they corresponded. Um, they didn't. They didn't have an extensive um, correspondence, but they did. They did correspond, and and Newman was a bit of a mentor figure to him. Um, but of course, since then, he Hopkins, you know, entered entered the priesthood into the studies for the priesthood. He ended up with his own support network in his Jesuit training, so he didn't need to rely so much um, on on Newman. But he right. was influence. And yet, you you noted in the introduction, he served as priest in the slums of London, and then he was actually professor of Latin and Greek in University College in Dublin, which, which wasn't quite the, the distinguished, uh, comfortable position 
that that people might might think conditions weren't great at the at the university at, at the no time. that would be an understatement and in fact it may have may well have hastened his death because he died of of what was almost certainly typhoid which he probably caught because of the lamentable state of the drains it was not a healthy place it was a rundown sort of decrepit perpetually underfunded sort of place um and he was overworked two papers degrade um and and caught caught this and died um sadly very young so priest and and classics professor the poetry impulse was it it was there from the from the early years wasn't it Absolutely. Um, for Hopkins, it really was almost like breathing. He was he wrote poetry very early. He was constantly, you know, making notes. He had kept journals and sketchbooks. We didn't have much of his early poetry because he was concerned that this might be a distraction from his his priestly vocation. And so, at some point, um, he burned his his early poetry. Now, no one made him do this. He 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 took this action on himself. Um, and resolved that he wasn't going to write any more poetry. And it was, in fact, one of his superiors and his novitiate who encouraged him to take up the writing of poetry again and said, well, why don't you write a poem about this news report about the wreck of the um, of the Deutschland with these, these um, refugee Catholic nuns who had been drowned? And Hopkins does, and that is what ends up kick-starting his poetic career again. And he ends up writing... The rest of his life, it's it's really a, a deep part of who he is as a as a person to be so so creative. Um, and it's interesting because sometimes I think critics try to compartmentalize as if Hopkins the priest and Hopkins the poet must therefore have been at odds with each other, but really I don't think they are. Um, some of his his poetry have has intriguing links where he's been going through the spiritual exercises as a, as a Jesuit reflecting on, you know, what would it be like to be one of the damned souls? That's, that's a spiritual exercise. And then he writes a poem, one of the the sonnets of desolation that's really directly connected to that. So certainly his poetry, especially his bleak poetry is reflecting some of his own, you know, struggles with depression and, and, and sadness but it's also he's imaginatively engaging with spiritual topics that are coming to him as as a priest. Mm-hmm. And likewise, you know, his his Marian poetry, he's engaging poetically with parts of, of his life that, you know, would have also come out in his preaching, for instance. Although he wasn't apparently a very good preacher. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, the 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 language of the verse wouldn't. He couldn't preach in that mode. No. He would probably have been a better preacher if he could have preached poetically, but uh, apparently not not as successful as, as he as he might have wished. Now, on on let's get to the verse. Uh, this is the 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 main main part of the book, of course. Uh, he is known for a metrical feature called sprung rhythm. What is that? Well, it's basically a type of rhythm that is more naturally corresponding to um, the regular rhythms of human speech. And so it's not as metrically regular as, for instance, you know, you look at Shakespeare and it's reasonably metrically like regular. It's an iambic pentameter. You can't find the beats in Hopkins poetry quite so easily because he's, he's more looking at the natural emphasis of our speech 
And so that the beats might skip over, for instance, more unstressed syllables and they're not taken into account. Um, and so it's, it's a variation on handling meter. I often find in anthologies that print Hopkins's verse, you'll put the little, a little accent mark above certain syllables. You don't have those here. Yeah, I deliberately- Did you think about that or was that a choice or? That was a deliberate choice um, because those marks are part of the markers for the sprung rhythm. And Hopkins puts them um, in, in, his, in his poems. But I think for the average reader, that can be a little bit distracting. It can be difficult to know what to make of them. And my aim in preparing this volume was not to contribute to the scholarship on Hopkins, because there's plenty of that. Um, my aim was to make him accessible to a wider audience. And so the whole approach that I took was about how can I make these poems readable and accessible without putting barriers in the way. If I have readers who are interested in his use of sprung rhythm, for instance, the Oxford University Press edition of his poems is excellent, and I, I mention it in my notes. But I wanted to give a fairly clean um, presentation of it. And since the, the marks for the rhythm are not necessary, they're not a really inherent part of his poetry, there's something he added as a, a bit of, a, of an aid, I thought, I'm not going to put them in because I want to make this inviting. Yeah, yeah. Would you want to lead us through one of his better known poems. Uh, you know, I had my son memorize as part of his, my, my, my homeschooling of his, his English, had him memorize that, that neat little one, Spring and Fall. Probably, probably his most, I don't know if that's his best, it's probably one of the most anthologized poems of his, but would you want to, would you want to select us and give us a, a, a sample of his verse? Well, I couldn't, I couldn't do better than to give you the one that gave the book its title as Kingfisher's Catch Fire, sure. one of my personal favorites, um, and also one that ended up getting a whole page of annotations um, in this. So as Kingfisher's Catch Fire, um, well, let me read it. It's, it's a sonnet, so it's relatively short. That's one of the things that makes um, Hopkins poetry accessible is that it's mostly like, short poems. So here's as Kingfisher's Catch Fire. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tuck string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that, being indoors, each one dwells. Selves, goes itself, myself it speaks and spells crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more, the just man justices, keeps grace, that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. That's a great poem. <laughs> yes. Okay. Do you and want to comment? A, a little comment. I mean, I'm, people don't have people are listening. They won't have the poem in in front of them. But maybe maybe we could go through through as king. What is a kingfisher? 
Well, a kingfisher, as I say in my annotation, the kingfisher found in Britain, Alcedo athus, Latin name, is a small bird with brightly colored blue and rust red plumage. It lives by rivers and hunts by flying above the water and then diving steeply down into the water to catch fish. So let me let me say, yeah, I, I, I wanted you to do that. Uh, I've got on the pages all the references that all, any, any of the obscure, even not so obscure references are laid out on the opposing page for the poem with with the Anna, with the just simple clarification explanation of, of annotation. So kingfishers catch fire, lots of K's in there. So an F, F, fishers fire, dragonflies draw flame, drag, draw, flies, flame, lots of that stuff, so. Yeah, I mean, he's using, this is a, a musical poem. Um, and here it's tremendously complex um, sort of acoustically because he's using rhyme, um, flame, name, wells, bells. Um, the, the rhyme scheme is very consistent throughout the whole thing. And it's amazing. I mean, I am I'm myself a poet. It is jolly hard to use just a, a small set of rhymes and not end up being trite and repetitive. You hardly even notice that he's using the same set of rhymes because it's so fresh. It just sounds perfect. He's also using this alliteration um, and internal rhyme. We've got, you know... Um, We've, we've got ring, string, stones ring like each touch string, tells each hung bell's bow. You can almost hear the bells ringing and the stones chiming as they fall down the well. Um, it's a very musical poem. And this really ties into the theme of it because it's a celebratory poem. It's about identity. Um, I mean, that's this idea um, that... Each person acts in God's eye, what in God's eye he is, Christ. So each one of us is an image of Christ. Um, and then living out our identity as that, what does that look like? And the beauty of it is that Hopkins is, is saying, well, this there's a unity here. We're all made in the image of Christ. And yet how marvelously distinct and individual. We have all of these... Um, different things, stones, kingfishers, dragonflies, um, and each one says, what I do is me, for that I came. Everything, every part of creation has its place and is what God intends it to be, and that includes each one of us. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. The, the, he will bend the meaning of words in, in, in neat, creative ways, that, that line after the break. I say more. The just man justices. You know, he make, to, to turn justice into a verb. Uh, that's what the just man does. He justices. Uh, that, that's, that's a great little line there. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Do you want to do another one? Well, sure. Um, <laughs> let me actually do a dark one. Um, another one of my favorites, um, favorite 
meaning something very meaningful to me, not, not that it's a happy poem, um, carrying comfort. And this I, is I, I, only, I only want to do happy poems. I'm sorry. Oh, we can, we can skip. No, no, no. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> carrying comfort. Yes, yes. Let's do that. And it's interesting because this, this poem, I have been reading Hopkins for 30 years. Um, you know, I encountered him as an undergraduate, was absolutely mesmerized by him, did not understand about 90% of what I was reading, but was captivated by it. Um, and Carrying Comfort was one of the poems that, that grabbed me. Um, with, and this is long before I was a Christian. Um, and I think one of the beautiful things about the sonnets of desolation, ones like Carrying Comfort, are that... Hopkins is demonstrating a real sort of spiritual honesty. I mean, we know in, in theory that, of course, God knows what's going on in our lives, so it's not like we can't tell him. But there can be a kind of reticence, you know, to be really honest about how wretched we, we might be or how angry at God. And Hopkins is having none of it. He just puts it all out there. Um, and that's profoundly trustful. And that's something I think is beautiful about this poem, which I'll, I'll read and then we'll talk about it. Carrying comfort. Not, I'll not carry in comfort, despair, not feast on thee, not untwist, slack they may be, these last strands of man in me, or most weary cry, I can no more. I can. Can something, hope, wish day come, not choose not to be? But, ah, but, oh, thou terrible, why wouldst thou rude on me, thy ring-world right-foot rock? Lay a lion limb against me, scan with darksome devouring eyes my bruised bones, and fan, oh, in turns of tempest, me heaped there, me frantic to avoid thee and flee. Why? That my chaff might fly, my grain lie sheer and clear. Nay, in all that toil, that coil, since, seems, I kissed the rod, hand rather, my heart, lo, lapped strength, stole joy, would laugh, cheer. Cheer whom, though? The hero whose heaven-handling flung me, foot-trod me? Or me that fought him? Oh, which one? Is it each one? That night, that year, of now-done darkness, I, wretch, lay wrestling with, my God, my God. You, you read that very well because uh, people, uh, well, maybe people can hear this. This is not easy to read with, because you, you're right. The accents aren't marked off. In the middle of a line, sometimes you've got to pause, and there's no sign that you're supposed to pause, but you are, given the, the meaning of the word. So I, I give you that, that compliment, uh, uh, Holly. But So what is carrion comfort? that term? What does that term refer to? Well, as I glossed it, um, dead and rotting flesh, usually that of an animal. And the phrase carrying comfort, which I've also glossed, is a fault, therefore false corrupting kind of comfort. And it's interesting because, again, this, this whole anthology owes a lot to my teaching, um, Hopkins, which I've done, you know, for many, many years, teaching this poem in particular, and realizing that students would hit a wall at the very first line. What is carrion? What does it mean mm -hmm. to have carrion comfort? And that's such a vivid image. And Hopkins was very attuned to nature. 
Um, his poems are full of natural imagery. One of the joys of, of doing these annotations was looking them all up and realizing how specific he was, very, very specific about plants, about animals, about landscape. And he, you know, would have seen dead and rotting animals, you know, things that are killed, wildlife, you know, a dead, a dead bird, what have you, um, maybe a little bit more than we in our modern day can be a little, a little sanitized. But we can think of, you know, roadkill, um, roadkill comfort, we might say. Hmm. This idea that it may seem like it's comfort, but it's really corrupting and, and, and deadly. And I think this idea that he calls despair a kind of comfort, because he's addressing despair um, directly. He's speaking to despair. I, I'll not feast on thee. Despair, I will not eat you. I will not be nourished by you, despair. And what a great insight. We're still on the first line. What a great insight into the problem of the modern era where it is so easy to despair and it can become something we feed on. I mean, like doom scrolling. He, yeah. he would understand doom scrolling, <laughs> you know? Well, the, yeah, the, I mean, there is, there is, you can find something very comforting of, uh, out of despair. Giving up. I don't have to work so darn hard anymore. I can just let go. How yeah. nice that, how nice is that? And he has this honesty to recognize that it's not, you know, it's not just, oh, cheer up. Oh, just be grateful. Oh, pull yourself together. The most he can manage is to say no to giving up. I won't untwist, although they're slack. I won't fully untwist these last strands of man in me. I won't say I can't go on. He even just says, I can something. Well, what's the something he can do? I can hope. I can wish day come. I can wish for the new day to come. That last one, I can not choose not to be. The ultimate thing is like, at the least, he said, at the least, I can at least not kill myself. And that's so honest. Now, when he, when he says in the next line, but ah, uh, but ah, uh, but oh, thou terrible. Uh, that's an apostrophe. Who, who is the thou? God. Okay. And this is so interesting because he, he starts by addressing despair and recognizing that despair can be a comfort, but then he turns to address God and calls him terrible and says, why are you doing this to me? So again, not a conventional, tidy, comforting piety. He turns to God and says, why? Why have you heaped me up here in this tempest? I'm trying to avoid thee and flee. Why are you, why are you doing this to me? Why are you laying a lion limb against me? You know, this image of the lion of Judah, God as, you know, a lion. Mm. Um, we, you know, C.S. Lewis with his Chronicles of Narnia has given, you know, the figure of God as a lion, Aslan, um, much greater, you know, a great impact in the modern day. Aslan, we tend to, I think, too often think of the good side of him. And forget that Lewis also presents Aslan as being a bit terrifying. Um, he's not safe. Um, Lewis, Lewis gets it. And Hopkins is doing the same thing. Um, it's pretty terrifying to have God lay a lion limb against you. Hmm. <laughs> Lions have claws. Lions have ginormous paws. Um, so he's saying, why are you doing all this? And then he shifts into his realization of why. Why? that my chaff might fly. And again, I gloss this because, you know, again, we are not in the modern day as familiar mm -hmm. with 
the agricultural processes as Hopkins was. This is the beating of the grain to knock off the worthless chaff and let the grain lie sheer and clear. Yeah. He's saying this is the process of, of knocking away the worthless stuff so that I can be fully me. Um, right. But right. if you think about it, if you're the wheat, getting the chaff removed is not a pleasant process. You're getting smacked. <laughs> yeah. Again, that honesty that this is this is hard, this toil, that coil. Um, and then he realizes that he starts to move into a kind of joy. My heart lapped strength, stole joy. Love these words, lapped at it like a cat lapping at a bowl of milk. Not, not you know, guzzling strength down, but just right. lapping at it, stole joy. Um, again, if you have been distressed or depressed joy doesn't usually come all at once you almost feel a little guilty like can can i be happy is this okay lapped strength stole joy and then i love this he asks another question like oh he feels like cheering but who should i cheer should he cheer god the hero whose heaven handling flung me foot trod me god's been knocking him around should he cheer him <laughs> should he cheer himself who has fought him. Um, and he says, which one? But then he says, is it each one? And that sort of recognition of a dynamic process, it's like, you know, him a little bit like, um, you know, Jacob wrestling with the angel. That struggle has, has been a good thing. And I just love the closing line and a half. He says that, that night, and then that little correction, that night... That year of now done darkness and done. What, what an important word of now, now done darkness. He has passed through it. But notice how he starts by saying that night. No, it wasn't just a night. It was a whole year of darkness. This was not a fast process. I, wretch, lay wrestling with God. And again, that exclamation, he puts this wonderful parenthetical, my God, he, he's showing like, he's realizing who was I wrestling with in the darkness? I was wrestling with God. And it calls forth this exclamation, my God. So we, we have this whole journey of struggle all expressed in this poem. It's a fantastic poem. The book is As Kingfishers Catch Fire, Selected and Annotated Poems of Gerard Manley Hopkins. Professor Ordway, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 877- 332-2930.